0: Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and e-books. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much! Thea Bowman once said, I know that suffering gives us new perspective and helps us to clarify our real value. I know that suffering has helped me to clarify my relationships. Perhaps suffering stops us in our tracks and forces us to confront what is real within ourselves and in our environment. Welcome to the 112th episode of St. Dimpna's Playbook, the SDP If You Want to Be Cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys. Four on Earth and one in Heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that while God wants us to find freedom from our suffering, He also wants us to be able to look back after we have found that freedom and discover what is real within ourselves and our environment. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for Saint Dymphna's mentions. doesn't take much scrolling to see just how popular the little word game wordle has become and while most people have been talking about how impressed they are in humanity with so many people keeping the word of the day a secret i was curious what it is about the game that makes it such a viral hit ink.com gets us started with some thoughts from psychologists. Wordle isn't the first popular word game in human history. Of course, a little while back, Words with Friends had a moment and Scrabble is obviously the granddaddy of the genre. So while Wordle is too new for scientists to have much to say about it specifically, psychologists have studied earlier word puzzles. Psychologist Penny Pexman notes that some people are high in what psychologists call need for cognition. People like this have a strong drive to keep their brains occupied and will always respond well to a new brain teaser. But Pexman also suggests there's something about our collective psychological moment that makes the game more broadly appealing now. With only one Wordle released per day, everyone is solving the same puzzle. The online game's sharing option also allows to share the results with others without giving the answer away, she writes. And that means Wordle is also creating an opportunity for shared experience at a time when many people are feeling disconnected from others. Wordle isn't just an opportunity to occupy your idle brain but also a way to connect with others at a time when many of us feel distanced and lonely because of the pandemic pexman isn't the only one sharing this perspective the university of washington professor of communications katie pierce suggests that wordle may be providing some of the same benefits people once got from water cooler chat it's a relatively low key something that co-workers from different walks of life can have in common and even makes you seem vaguely smart Back to me, it's a beautiful cultural moment in the midst of so much bad news, and we should all be thanking Josh Wardle for the fun we've enjoyed together, and good on him for selling it to the New York Times. He deserves every cent. Also, isn't it incredible that his last name is Wardle, and he created Wardle? So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Mary Angela Ruskowska. (laughs) in 1825 in poland sophia camille was the oldest of seven children she loved reading and schoolwork as a child and her parents took her to daily mass and adoration her father was a juvenile court judge and his perspective helped her grow in her compassion for the poor and those facing injustice when she was just 16 she came down with tb and after treatment in switzerland she returned to poland to engage in home study teaching herself latin french philosophy ethics and social thought She considered joining a cloistered community, but instead joined the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and started helping the homeless in Warsaw as a laywoman. She eventually joined the Third Order of St. Francis and adopted the name Angela. She rented a small house and opened it up to women and orphans who were living on the street. She had to move her ministry into a larger home, and eventually she and her cousin started an order called the Congregation of the Sisters of St. Felix Cantalic. She had to withdraw from active ministry when she was just 44 due to increasing deafness, and she died in 1899. Angel is an incredible witness of someone who suffered greatly and felt connected to those suffering around her, and she found motivation in her faith and relationship with Christ to reach out to the most vulnerable and help them as much as possible. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. God, our Father, we praise and thank you for the gift of blessed Mary Angela, who lived your will in faith and trust and lived your love in service to others. I pray in confidence that through her intercession, you will grant me the favor which I request for peace and comfort to descend upon everyone listening this very moment. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Gina gets us started. What are your thoughts about disclosing mental health stuff on social media? I myself struggle with mental health, so I'm not asking this in judgment, but more out of concern. I see some people posting really explicit stuff about their mental health is this healthy i'm even asking for myself because i've made my story of clergy abuse public but i waited until i was healthy enough to do so and sometimes i worry that people are self-exposing in the midst of crisis and are getting responses that are potentially harmful let's start by praying for everyone trying to navigate the world of sharing their experience and then managing how people respond on social media for wisdom I think this is a super important topic to discuss, so thank you, Gina, for bringing it up. I've talked a lot about on this podcast uh, how I believe that sharing our experiences with mental health will help us to build the community we need in our church, increase support, decrease stigma, and generally make the church a better place for all of us. That being said, I've also tried to make it clear that we don't owe our story to anyone, and we often need to ensure that we find people we can trust and feel safe being vulnerable with before we share our stories, and that's absolutely okay. Okay. Social media can be an entirely different animal. It's great for us to share about our experience in order to shed light on a topic that isn't discussed, to gain support from and give support to others who may be experiencing something similar, etc. However, it's also a much riskier place to share our experience because we can be misunderstood, attacked by anonymous trolls who don't have any good intention at heart, and one little piece of sharing can spin out of control and really leave us feeling awful. We're going to have a look at knh.org for some thoughts here. While struggles with mental health were traditionally kept private, in recent years a growing number of sufferers are adopting the opposite tact sharing their mental health battles with the world via social media. Lauren Evans, a Philadelphia public relations professional, is a survivor of domestic violence who was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety in 2013. The community she found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook helped her to cope. Evans keeps the hashtag, hashtag DV survivor, and words mental health advocate in her Instagram bio to help her find other mental health accounts on social media. Finding others who understood her struggle and didn't discount her feelings was invaluable. She social media quote has been one of the most helpful things for me to have my voice feel validated, especially regarding past trauma. It's also super cool to network with others who are on their journey, and it makes it seem more socially accepted. Dr. Isaiah Pickens, a clinical psychologist in Los Angeles and founder of Eye Opening Enterprises, believes that when used the wrong way, social media can have a negative impact. Social media can also exacerbate problems if it's not the right kind of community, and if it's a community that potentially responds in ways that are toxic. Pickens said when people sometimes try to share their experience and their experience is received in a way that increases that type of harassment, intimidation, and bullying that happens. He cautions that people should think of social media as a secondary tool and get help from professionals and traditional support groups, seek out groups on social media that share your problem, he said, and give yourself permission to hold back some aspects of your life. It's important to set boundaries." So back to me, I think that's the answer that we're looking for. We need to get to know ourselves, know where we're at with our mental and emotional well-being, figure out what we're trying to do with sharing our story, and, and try hard to set boundaries to keep us healthy, positive, and safe wherever we take to social media to talk about our experiences. And this also includes the reminder that we can block or mute anyone making the space uncomfortable for us without feeling guilty about it. I hope that helps. Allison is up next as someone who deals with significant gender dysphoria. I've been told repeatedly not to do the things that relieve the pain. No theological backing, just hormones equal bad. No hope of relief. At best, a recommendation to medicate into oblivion. It's a topic that I feel not an insignificant number of clergy won't take seriously. Well, let's start by joining together in prayer for Allison and everyone experiencing gender dysphoria, that they may experience the peace and love of God in their hearts and minds, and that they may find an unconditionally supportive community at church. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'd first like to apologize for the experience that you've had not finding support from clergy. I pray that one day we will be able to find support in our church communities, no matter our situation. We're desperate for it next since we like definitions around here and you specifically use the term gender dysphoria let's take a look at what the dsm-5 has to say about this experience so we can make sure we're on the same page the dsm-5 defines gender dysphoria in adolescents and adults as a marked incongruence between one's experienced and expressed gender and their assigned gender lasting at least six months as manifested by at least two of the following a marked incongruence between one's expressed an experienced gender and primary and or secondary sex characteristics a strong desire to be rid of one's primary and or secondary sex characteristics because of a marked incongruence with one's experienced or expressed gender a strong desire for the primary and or secondary sex characteristics of the other gender a strong desire to Be of the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's assigned gender, a strong desire to be treated as the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's assigned gender, and a strong conviction that one has the typical feelings and reactions of the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's assigned gender. So back to me. It is so sad to hear that you have come across clergy who don't take gender dysphoria seriously. It's a real experience, and those living with the experience deserve to be treated with compassion and love. Next, it's so difficult to hear about not feeling like you're being told that you can't do the things that you think would bring you relief. Too often, many of us in the Catholic Church appeal to this idea that we should continue in our suffering, that trying to find relief for our suffering is evil somehow, and that's something we have to break free from. Yes, there can be meaning in our suffering, however, God wants us to be free from sin, from pain, from suffering, from all the things that make us feel like an outsider. I'll share a little bit from Pope Francis and Amoris Laetitia here to get a glimpse of something beyond the usual response that we've all heard many times. In number 286 we read, nor can we ignore the fact that the configuration of our own Made, made of being, whether as male or female, our own mode of being, I'm sorry, whether as male or female, is not simply the result of biological or generic uh, genetic factors, but of multiple elements having to do with temperament, family history, culture, experience, education, the influence of friends, family members, and respectful persons, respected persons, as well as other form- formative situations. It is true that we cannot separate the masculine and feminine from God's work of creation, which is prior to all our decisions and experiences and where biological elements exist which are impossible to ignore but it is also true that masculinity and femininity are not rigid categories He goes on to say, a rigid approach turns into an over accentuation of the masculine or feminine and does not help children and young people to appreciate the genuine reciprocity incarnate in the real conditions of matrimony. Such rigidity, in turn, can hinder the development of an individual's abilities to the point of leading him or her to think, for example, that it is not really masculine to cultivate art or dance or not very feminine to exercise leadership. So back to me, I know that this perhaps doesn't sound completely like it addresses your question. But I find it helpful to see the thinking of Pope Francis and how it goes beyond the usual responses we hear, willing to go deeper than a surface-level response. In this situation you're facing, I would hope that you could get connected with other Catholics who are walking along the same journey, others who know what you're going through and would never suggest that you are bad or need to keep suffering or anything like that, but will meet you as you are, an individual who is loved by God and deserving love from everyone you come across in your life. Please know that I'll be praying for you for a clear direction from God on how to move forward and for good, faithful, loving people to come across your path in order for you to experience the support you need. Anonymous wraps us up. Would you consider discussing how sexual trauma and or childhood abuse can affect men specifically? Let's start by praying for everyone who has experienced sexual trauma and childhood abuse for healing, peace, and justice. Before I jump into this one, I just want to remind everyone of the transformative power of therapy for those of us who have experienced sexual trauma and or have a history uh, of childhood abuse. When we get connected to a therapist who is a good fit for us, we can truly find healing and regain the joy that was stolen away from us in our lives. We're going to start here with ptsd.va.gov. At least one out of every 10 or 10% of men in our country have suffered from trauma as a result of sexual assault. Like women, men, who experience sexual assault may suffer from depression, PTSD, and other emotional problems as a result. However, because men and women have different life experiences due to their different gender roles, emotional symptoms, following trauma can look different in men than they do in women. Particularly when the assaultant, uh, assailant is a woman, the impact of sexual assault upon men may be downplayed by professionals and the public. However, men who have had early sexual experience with adults report problems in various areas at a much higher rate than those who do not. Men and boys who have been sexually assaulted are more likely to suffer from PTSD, anxiety disorders, and depression than those who have never been abused uh, sexually and also have a high incidence of alcohol and drug use. For example, the probability for alcohol problems in adulthood is about 80% for men who have experienced sexual abuse as compared to 11% for men who have never experienced sexual abuse exposure to trauma can lead to at-risk behaviors during adolescence such as running away and other delinquent behaviors so back to me As with so many other traumatic experiences, people will not always have the same outcomes, but it is helpful to see the importance of taking sexual assault against men and all people, obviously, seriously, because without help, emotional distress and the behaviors associated with that distress will only continue, making it more difficult to function to get through life in a healthy manner. Let's pray and work so that everyone who has experienced sexual assault can find safety, compassion, and help getting connected with the services they need from our church and from our communities. Healing is possible and we have to help our suffering sisters and brothers find that healing as best we can. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.